Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. The Bible describes an enemy who is relentless in his attacks against the people of God. First seen in the Bible, tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Paradise, causing the fall of humanity, ushering in sin and death into the world. And throughout history, this enemy, this great enemy, he has worked through depraved individuals wicked rulers and godless empires to deceive the world and destroy the righteous. But the day is coming. The day is absolutely coming when Satan is going to empower the worst deceiver that this world will ever see. This enemy of the people of God will be much worse than Nero, Hitler, Stalin, or even Mao. Since the birth of the church, Christians have looked forward, knowing that a time is coming when an evil dictator and his deceptive right-hand man will come and deceive the entire world. The Antichrist and the false prophet will become the most persuasive and deceptive political and religious leaders the world will ever see. On July 30th of 1945, the battle cruiser, the USS Indianapolis, was returning from a mission. It was delivering enriched uranium to allied forces in the Pacific. It did not make it home. A Japanese torpedo hit the cruiser on its way back and it sank in just a few minutes. It only took 12 minutes and 300 of the 1,200 men died. 900 went into the water. And during four days and five nights without food, without water, under the hot sun of the Pacific, of the 900 men that went into the water, only 316 survived the lack of water and all those sharks, those pesky, nasty sharks pulling you down into the ocean. One of those who survived was the chief medical officer who recorded his own frightful experience. He wrote this. He said, there was nothing I could do but give advice. I could bury the dead at sea, try to keep the men from drinking the water. When the hot sun came out and we were in this crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty. You couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men they shouldn't drink. And the real young ones, you take away their hope, you take away their water, you take away their food, and they would drink the salt water, and then they would go fast. I can remember striking the ones who were drinking the salt water to try to stop them. They would get dehydrated. They would become maniacal. They were having mass hallucinations. And then he writes this, I was amazed how everyone would see the same thing. One man would see something, and then all of a sudden, everyone else would see it too. Even I fought the hallucinations off and on, but something always brought me back. It's this type of 
mass deception that is coming where everyone in the entire world is going to be deceived and see the same exact thing. Young men will give up hope. The dead will be too many to count. And it will be but a small remnant of people struggling to stay afloat in this dark and desperate time. The attention of the world will be on the Antichrist. We start this morning in Revelation chapter 13 with verse 1. Let's read it. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns... Ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. If we're going to understand Revelation chapter 13, then we need to do a little bit of homework, and we need to get the backstory and understand the reference here to the beast. The Old Testament prophet Daniel gives us a clue. Daniel had a similar vision, which was described for us in Daniel chapter 7. But if you were with us when we studied this so long ago, you remember that instead of just one beast, Daniel saw four. Daniel saw four beasts coming up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, the second was like a bear, and the third was like a leopard. And the fourth beast that Daniel saw that he describes as dreadful, terrible, and exceedingly strong, this fourth beast had ten horns, just like the beast that we see here in Revelation 13. Daniel saw four beasts that are four world powers that Daniel saw long before most of them came onto the scene of history. Daniel saw four beasts, four empires that opposed the nation of Israel. The first was the Babylonian Empire, the lion. The second was the Medo-Persian Empire, the bear. The third was the Greek Empire, the leopard. And the fourth, oh, the fourth was the Roman Empire. And it was a terrifying and frightening beast, Scripture says, which is what we have here in Revelation 13. The Roman Empire will rise again during the tribulation to come. And so look at what John saw as he stood on the sand of the sea. That is the correct reading, by the way, in the majority text. John saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Not that the dragon stood on the sand of the sea, as some of the translations tell us. The context is going to tell us that the beast of Revelation 13 is a person. This is a person. This is the Antichrist. And he will rule the revived Roman Empire of Daniel 7, and it's going to dominate the entire world. It's depicted with ten crowns on its horns. Horns always represent power. These are positions of leadership in this final kingdom of man. Daniel specifically tells us in Daniel 7.24 that the ten-nation confederation will be headed up by ten kings. But only seven heads of leadership here in Revelation because Daniel tells us specifically that three of the ten leaders are going to be removed and replaced by the Antichrist himself. And the little horn of Daniel 7 who rises up in power is the beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist. And the very fact here that he comes out of the sea, the very fact that he comes out of the sea in Revelation tells us that the Antichrist is a Gentile. He tells us right here he's going to be a Gentile who comes up out of the sea of humanity. 
And we also know this because of Revelation 17, 15. It says this. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The sea is a symbol of the Gentile nations. The prophet Micah predicted this long ago, speaking about the time just before the return of Christ for the nation of Israel. And when Christ comes to deliver his people at the second coming, look at what Micah 5 records. It says, speaking of Christ, it says, and this one shall be peace. Then speaking of just before the return of Christ in the tribulation, when the Assyrians come into our land and when he treads in our palaces, the Assyrian, the Antichrist. Then referring to Israel, defeating him with the help of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns at the second coming, the rest of these verses say, we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men, and they shall waste with the sword of the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. See, the context of Revelation 13 is still on the second half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years before the second coming of Christ. And the dragon, Satan, will give the Antichrist his power, his throne, and great authority. Daniel 11.36, a fantastic verse. Watch what it teaches us. It says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. Notice the consistency of the word of God. Revelation tells us that on his heads there will be blasphemous names. Not only will he insult the God of heaven, but he will declare himself to be God. In Revelation, the beast has the qualities of the three empires before in Daniel 7. Described here as a leopard like Greece, described here as a bear like Medo persia and like a lion of Babylon telling us that this final kingdom of man, all that mankind comes up with, this final kingdom of man will embody the sum total of all the world empires that oppose God and his people all throughout history. The Antichrist will come to power quickly like a leopard, like the Greeks. He will crush his opponents decisively, having feet like the feet of a bear, like the Medo persian Empire. And a bear has large Clause, we know this to be true, don't we? Living in Alaska, we don't want to see that ever, but we know this to be true. They have large claws and they grab onto its prey. Well, this beast will leave a trail of blood behind him with the mouth of a lion like Babylon. He will roar with abusive words, abusive words towards God and his people with a return to the ways of Babylon with a one world religion. Satan is going to be his master. Satan will give him his power, and he will rule the world. But we can already see the direction that the world is headed, can't we? Back in 1513, Machiavellia published his book, The Prince. Now, Machiavellia at that time, if you don't know who this guy was, he was obsessed with Caesar Borgia. Borgia was the illegitimate son of Pope Alexander VI. Borgia was one of the most corrupt rulers of all times. He rose to power and carved out a state for himself in central Italy. Borgia was a very violent man, a violent man, a sick man, brutal, cruel, selfish. 
And his underlying motive was to look out for himself. And the only method that he used was force. He used force to get his way. And Machiavellia used Borgia as the backdrop for his book known as The Prince. If you Google it, you'll come up with amazing results. It's a very famous book. Suggesting in this book that the chief goal of the princes of this world, the chief goal of the leaders of this world is glory and survival. And that they can justify their actions, even if immoral, if it helps them to accomplish their ends. Italian dictator Mussolini would later acknowledge his debt to the book, The Prince. And when Mussolini said, the state is God and Machiavellia is his prophet, he was quoting this book. He was talking about, referring to this book about how important it was to his life. Hitler himself is reported to have kept a copy of the prince, the book The Prince, at his bedside. There's another philosopher who, whose writings have played a major part in the development of the modern totalitarian state. His name is Hegel. Nearly every principle that guides Russia for the last hundred years and even today was first proposed by the German philosopher, especially Russian and communist thought regarding the state. See, Hegel taught that the state in its final, listen, in its final expression is the complete embodiment of social and ethical ideas. The nearest approach, he said, to divinity he believed the state to be the final and absolute, the highest court of appeal. He taught that all the worth an individual has, possesses, in even his spiritual reality, he possesses only through the state. These are dangerous words. According to Hegel, no moral principles should govern the state in its dealings with other countries. Only the strongest and best organized states should survive. All modern totalitarian governments, the fascists of Italy, the Nazi Germany state, communist Russia, communist China, have been modeled upon these wicked and depraved ideas. In a complete dictatorship, the head of the state is the state. See, when people thought of Germany under Hitler, they thought of who? Hitler. And this trend will continue in the beast, who will not just be the head of the Roman Empire, he will be the empire. He will speak for it. He will act for it. He will think for it. He will decide for it. He will take his authority directly from Satan. The beast, as the head of the state, will be the state. Verse 3 tells us, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, if you've studied Revelation on your own, you know that this verse has been debated for centuries, but I don't think it has to be that hard. The timing of all this is just the second half of the tribulation. That's what the context dictates. We have no justification at all in looking for a fulfillment in history in the past. The head being fatally wounded is sometimes taken to be when the Roman Empire fell at the hands of the barbarians when they ransacked the city of Rome in 476 A.D. And then it's said that the fatal wound refers to the Roman Empire coming back to life under the Antichrist. But that's not what is happening here in verse 3. 
The subject here is the revived Roman Empire, that I guarantee you. But just as we identify Hitler with Germany, Putin with Russia, let's bring Putin into this, Putin with Russia, Mussolini with Italy, we identify the Antichrist with the state, with the coming kingdom of the revived Roman Empire. The Antichrist is one of the kings of this final confederation of rulers that is going to dominate the world. So how can we tell? How can we know this to be true? Because just look at the second half of the verse in verse 3. If this was just the death of the Roman Empire, if this was just referring only to the Roman Empire, it wouldn't say, and his deadly wound was healed. His deadly wound was healed. Referring to a person, referring to the Antichrist. Remember that the Antichrist is coming to the world as a false Christ. That is the very point. So he's going to want to mimic the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And either, all I can tell you on this verse is this, either this will be the Antichrist mimicking the death and resurrection of Christ, or this is actually God allowing Satan on this occasion the power to bring the Antichrist back to life. It's either by deception or by power permitted by God. But the world won't see it that way. John tells us the world is going to marvel. The world is going to follow the beast. And verse 4 adds this. It says, and they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him. Satan is going to provide the world with a copycat. The dragon, Satan, and the Antichrist will receive the worship of the world. Satan will receive worship by the worship given to the Antichrist because when we worship or idolize anything other than God, we give glory and honor to Satan. Idolatry is demonic and satanic. False worship of God is demonic and satanic. And the Antichrist will be worshipped because the world will think that no one is like him. That no one can stand up to him. No one can make war with the Antichrist and win. So Satan is going to offer the Antichrist something. Satan is going to offer him the same thing that he offered to Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4. Satan will offer the Antichrist all the kingdoms of the world and their glory if he will fall down and worship him. And in return, the Antichrist will become Satan's substitute for Christ as the king of kings and as the Lord of Lords, how disgusting is that? The head of the revived Roman Empire is able to assume full authority over the entire world. And the world will cry out. This is the world crying out in the tribulation. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? They will get their answer, won't they? They're going to get their answer when Christ returns at the second coming and casts the Antichrist into the lake of fire. But until that time, he's going to be allowed to reign and fulfill his place in human destiny. You know, it's always been Satan's purpose to receive the worship that is due to God and God alone. Let's pick it up with verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's a rare flower that can reach up to 10 feet high. It's a huge flower. It's not a flower that you necessarily want to grow. It smells 
like it has been, it smells like three-day-old roadkill. That's the only way to describe it. It smells like three-day-old roadkill. It smells like rotting flesh or like fish gone bad. That's something we can relate to, fish gone bad. It's known as the corpse flower. It only grows down in the forests of Indonesia. And once it's opened, look at that thing. The brightest red bloom even looks like rotten meat. Kind of gross, which becomes a welcome mat for all the insects and the flies and the beetles that come to pollinate it. Now it smells like something has died. It looks like something has died. And it has the same chemicals coming out of it that dead bodies produce. But it begins to disintegrate after just a few days. And it's nothing but a hoax to the flies and the other insects. Because unlike the other plants that offer nectar, there's no real reward with this flower. The insects come thinking that they're going to get a meal because it smells like something dead. And it's the same, same story we see of sin. It's the same story we see with false worship. You see, false worship... It holds out a promise, yet gives us no reward, and its end is death. I want you to stop this morning and think about the futility of all the counterfeit worship offered in the tribulation. All these people sitting there worshiping the Antichrist and Satan himself. Stop and think of the futility of all the counterfeit worship that exists today in our day and all throughout history. People, men and women, sitting there worshiping things that have no power, no life, nothing but death that is there. It ends in death. It ends in death. It has no lasting eternal value. And Satan is going to grab the attention of the unbelieving world through deceptive miracles. His reign is going to be hell on earth. You know, when we study James, we saw in James 3, 6, that it describes the tongue of the believer in Christ. Read it with me. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is what? Is set on fire by hell. If that is how scripture defines our tongues, we cannot imagine the words that are going to be coming from the mouth of the Antichrist. Verse 5 calls them arrogant words, great things and blasphemies. Daniel 11.36 already told us, we just looked at it, that the Antichrist shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. And Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, that the Antichrist opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. His tongue will be set on fire from hell. His motives, his deception will be fueled by the power of Satan, empowered by Satan. And again, as you're studying this for yourself, look for the time markers in the text. Look for those wonderful time markers left by God for us that describe and tell us exactly when this is happening. This is putting us in the second half of the tribulation. See, the Antichrist is going to blaspheme God, the tabernacle, and even those who dwell in heaven. But remember that by this time, Satan's going to be kicked out of heaven, no longer able to access the courts of heaven, unable to slander us before God, unable to impact the saints who dwell in heaven. So his attention, if he can't get to them, he's going to turn. He's going to turn to the saints on earth, to the people of God on earth. 
The beast is going to make war with the saints. He's going to despise God's people because he's going to become convinced that the problems of the earth, and you can hear this mindset today, he's going to become convinced that the problems of the earth are because of God and those that follow him. Blame everything on the people of God. It's the same message Daniel was told long ago. Daniel 7.25 tells us, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a times and half a time. The Antichrist will be the mouthpiece for Satan himself. Verse 7, back in Revelation, tells us, that his authority will be over every tribe, every tongue, every nation. His rule will extend over the whole world. He will be a worldwide dictator, not just over part of the world. He will rule over the entire world. No other ruler has ever been able to rule the entire world at once, but many, many have tried. It's hard for us to imagine how the entire world is going to follow after the Antichrist, but the world has seen this type of person before. We like to pick on Adolf Hitler. We've talked about him a little bit, but it's a name that comes to mind because, you know, if you look at his history and if you look at what happened there, we're going to see history repeat, but to a much greater extent. When Adolf Hitler started in politics, he ran a very, very small party called the Nazis. And when they went up for election there, they only got 2.6% of the vote in 1928 in the German election. 2.6% of the vote. Now that means that 97% of the Germans didn't want anything to do with him, good for them, at that point in time. His party was considered to be a fringe party, like the Green Party is today. Sorry if I offended you tree huggers. But five years later, Hitler was the chancellor of Germany. Just in five years' time, he became the chancellor of Germany. Ask yourself, how? How could that happen? Well, just before this time, a lot of things happened. The Weimar government was the party in power, but they were considered to be too weak to rule. And there was widespread corruption. Sounds familiar, right? Widespread corruption, which upset most of the German people. Germans don't like that. And they wanted respect for law and order. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then a major economic crisis opened the door for a change. We need change. You ever heard that message in our history as a nation? Change. And people were sick of the failures of their government. And then the Wall Street stock market crashed in 1929. And it caused the German economy to collapse, absolutely collapse. It was bad. The unemployment skyrocketed. The people became desperate. Five of the German, major German banks went under. Germany suffered bad. They were worse off than most African countries are today. Thousands and thousands of people stood in the bread lines where they would receive a tiny little handout that could hardly feed their families. Many, many people committed suicide. Some abandoned their families, walked away, and the people were crying out for a strong leader. Well, they got one. They were crying out for a leader who would lead them out of this world of political confusion. And so things changed in just five years. In the 1932 election, Adolf Hitler put himself forward as the strong and decisive leader the people were looking for, and that is exactly what they wanted, and they found it in him. And that's what's going to happen again. But this time, the leader won't be as nice as Adolf Hitler. He won't be as nice 
as Adolf Hitler. Paul gives us a glimpse in scriptures of this same man and his ability to draw in the adoration of the world. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be what? Saved. Unrighteous deception among those who perish. The power of Satan, the lying wonders. The Antichrist will deceive the people of the world, which is what we start to read back in Revelation with verse 8, where it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be enlightened by God and able to see through all the lies and not be intimidated by the military power, the military strength of the Antichrist. The book of life, what is that? Well, that is the register of those who will receive eternal life. Read Revelation 17, 8 with me. It's a fantastic passage. It says, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. See, God says in Scripture that his people have had their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Revelation 20 tells us anyone not written in the book of life will be cast into that lake of fire. But those enlightened by God, they will see the Antichrist for the monster that he really is. They will understand exactly who he is. They will understand from Scripture exactly what he came to do. They're going to know, and they will see the Antichrist for the monster that he is, but they will refuse to worship the beast. And it means that they will suffer, suffer deeply. You see, just as... John is telling us here, just as it was God's plan before the world began that the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be slain for our sin, so it is that the names of, of God's people have been included in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Some are going to be led into captivity and prison. Some of God's people are going to be killed with the sword. As John correctly states, here is the patience and faith of the saints as they look ahead to the coming kingdom that even though they will suffer in their faith, they can live with patience, they can live with faith, because the Lord will vindicate his people. And that's the idea with verse 10. Those who persecute the saints and lead them into captivity must suffer the wrath of a righteous God. The Antichrist and those who persecute the saints of God will one day find themselves in captivity. God is going to execute his perfect justice on earth. And verse 10 Verse 10 is here to tell believers to submit to the sovereign plan of God. To let them know that God has permitted this, this work of the Antichrist, but every child of God can know that they are absolutely secure in Him. See, these verses explain to us why there is a, a universal push today towards a one-world religion. They're telling us why. Why it is that if you go to different churches, even churches that differ greatly on doctrine, churches that differ on even who Jesus Christ is, they're pushing to unite, they're pushing to come together, and it's all leading to something, it's building towards something, it's building towards Revelation chapter 13, it's building to a one world religion centered on the worship of the Antichrist. Satan is taking us there now, today, he's taking the world in this direction. 
But notice again, verse 9. God is only speaking to a certain group. God is only speaking to those who can hear. God is only speaking to those. He has given the spiritual ability to hear. But the lesson stands for every one of us today as a timeless reminder that no matter how dark the day may become, the light of the dawn of Christ's coming kingdom is just on the horizon. A recent book titled The Honored Society is written by one of the world's leading experts on the Italian mafia. Her name is Petra Reschi. And her book, her book explores the personal lives and the belief systems of the people in the mafia. But they claim faith in God while being a part of the mafia. I know that sounds hard to believe, but it's true. They claim faith in God while being a part of the mafia. It's common in the strange world of the Italian mobsters. Just take the words of Marcello Fava. He was a former member of the Sicilian Mafia. He told an Italian journalist his words, and I quote, before I had to kill someone, I would cross myself, like the Catholics do. He said, I would say, dear God, stand by me. Make sure nothing happens to me. But I wasn't the only one who crossed himself beforehand and prayed to God. We all did. When Mafia boss Bernardo Provenzano was arrested, the police actually found him with five Bibles, five Bibles with hundreds of his own comments in the margins and passages were underlined all throughout the scriptures. In his home, he had 91 statues, sacred statues, 73 of them were statues of Christ. And every single one of them had the inscription on them, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Mafia boss Michael Greco has four books in his prison cell, two liturgical books, the Gospels, and a book titled Pray, Pray. And during his trial, when asked for an explanation for all the murders that he had committed, here was his reply. He simply stated, I have an invaluable gift. I have inner peace. You see, this is the same spirit that is present in our country now today when leading political figures stand up and tout their supposed faith and then promote the right of the people to kill millions and millions and millions of babies. Most of the evil of this world does not come from evil people like Hitler. It comes from people who consider themselves to be good. People who fill the churches while walking their lives in absolute darkness. Satan's not against all religion. He's the author of a lot of religion. He's the one who inspires every false religion in this world, but it just a means to an end until he unites them together and makes the world worship him and the Antichrist. The hope of the world will be on the beast. The hope of God's people is on Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What do we do? We have faith. We have trust in the promises of God. We have patience, knowing that God will one day vindicate his people. And we follow the words of the Apostle Paul when he said in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, he said, therefore, come out from among them and be what? Separate, says the Lord. I wish I would see Christians do this. I wish I would see Christians live this verse. Enjoying God's Fellowship in our lives means living in our condition by the power of Christ resting in us. We're not trying to do it on our own. We're resting in Jesus Christ. Separating ourselves from the satanic system that controls the world. 
See, the powers of this world often oppose the people of God. You bet you they do. They may seem victorious for a time. They may seem like they're winning, but their time is short. Their time is limited. Do you know what Paul goes on to say just a little bit later in that same book? He writes this. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, I'm telling you this this morning. Our homes should not look like the homes of the lost people. They shouldn't. Our entertainment choices, let's hit it home a little bit. Our entertainment choices, they should not look like the unbelieving world. Always believing a lie, always promoting a lie. You want to change what you watch on TV? Slap this verse, put this Bible verse right on your TV screen. I dare you. And then consider how much murder, how much witchcraft, how much homosexuality, how much foul language and perversion that you see come across your TV screen and influence you and your family away from Jesus Christ. You may think you have a peace about it, but I got to tell you some of what people call peace today. It's not peace. It's not of God. Do not confuse the peace of God with the searing of the conscience. We can become numb to the sin in our life. Numbness to sin is not the peace of God. Our lives should be different. Our worship of God should be different. Our worship should be separate from the world, absolutely separate. And it should be based on the truth of Jesus Christ found in the scriptures. Satan is the one who is beyond and behind the push today to bring the religion of the world all together. And he's doing everything he can to mimic the true faith. He's doing everything he can today to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And boy, can you see it. You can see it right now. So Christians, be discerning and be separate and stand for the Christ in scriptures until the day he calls us home, knowing that we will get a reward from him God will vindicate and then heed the words of the Apostle Paul when he said this in Ephesians, when he said, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.